Welcome to Blackness in the Workplace, the podcast. We are on season three, but our mission has never changed. We unapologetically center, promote, build, and support the needs of Black professionals both inside and outside the workplace. All day, every day, 365 days of the year. We do this using the big three C's, connections, conversations, and collaborations. Why? Because our voices matter, our lives matter, and our experiences matter. I'm your host and founder of Blackness in the Workplace, Jessica. I'm glad you're here. Let's get this show started. Keishla Caesar-Jones is a customer success leader and professional with Discovery Education. Born and raised in Houston, Texas, and graduate of the University of Houston, Keishla's career has come full circle to bridge her sales and teaching experience, where she supports a team across the Pacific Northwest and Canada that drives value for school districts and educators in support of teaching and learning outcomes that places students at the center. As a customer success leader, Keishla's team focuses on all aspects of post-sales customer experience from onboarding, implementation, lifestyle management, and retention. Prior to taking her role at Discovery Education, Keishla served as the National Humanities Specialist for Pearson Education, where she focused on supporting school districts with selecting and implementing humanity programs across the nation and board. Keishla's passion for history and civics from the classroom has taken shape in corporate spaces and a DNI advocate and leader. She serves as a DNI advocate at Pearson, where she was recognized as an advocate of the year in 2017 and was a founding member of the ERG for employees of African descent. Currently, she serves on an employee-led DNI leadership committee at Discovery Education, where she focuses on driving a culture of equity and inclusion across the organization and collaborating with senior leadership to drive DNI outcomes as it relates to hiring, retention, promotions, and opportunities for diverse employees from all perspectives. Keishla now calls Austin, Texas home, where she lives with her husband, Major, and her adult sons also live in the city. She enjoys reading, politics, current events, and sports of all kinds. In all aspects of life, Keishla is a learner and a thinker. Her two life models that she lives by is walk with a purpose and keep your head on a swivel. So welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm so happy to be here. Woo, that was a long bio. <laughs> Just playing. <laughs> you did a lot. So, um, you know, definitely. Um, thank you for being here, you know, answering the call and, you know, coming and sharing your story on our podcast, doing this series, Black Women at Work, just interviewing Black women from all backgrounds. It doesn't matter, just want to hear your stories and, you know, you giving advice and pouring knowledge into our listeners. So, you know, just talk to us about a little bit more about your background, your career journey, and, you know, how did you lead up to where you are right now? Okay. Thanks so much, Jessica. First of all, I want to thank you for holding space and creating this um, wonderful podcast series. I've been listening to you and um, it's been a great pleasure to sort of watch your journey unfold as oh, you do this you. work. So I appreciate it. Um, you know, my background, I started out, um, and, you know, after graduating high school, just like all people, I went off to college and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, had plans to, you know, do certain things and, and life came about mm-hmm. um, as happens for women and uh, motherhood took shape for me yep. and um, school had to take a pause 
and I focused on being a mom and I put my energy into working where I could find space. And that was in the retail industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from the moment I started working, I've always been a hard worker dedicated to whatever it is I'm going to put my mind to. And I worked my way into management spaces in the retail space. I also worked in other sales man- management capacities. And then, um, you know, after my kids got a little bit older, my husband kept saying, you need to go back to school. You need to go back to school. And so I finally did. And at that point, I think I was at a different mindset. You know, sometimes what you think you want to be when you first um, graduate high school changes when you get a little bit older. And I remembered that I just always um, have been a lover of school. And I was like, I want to go back to school to be a teacher. And so I, and I found that that was going to give me what I needed both professionally and personally to be able to do the things that I wanted um, as a, as a mother, as well as a working woman. So um, I went back to school and, and uh, earned my degree in uh, both English literary studies and history and, um, and then entered the teaching profession back in 2003. I taught English language arts for a couple of years, but then really made it to what I think has always been my passion, which was social studies. And I was a social studies educator in the greater Houston area until 2012 when my um, uh, youngest son graduated from high school. So at that point, Um, my husband and I made a decision to move from Houston to Austin and started to think about what I might do next. And while teaching was always on my mind, I was at that space where I was like, well, you know, I wasn't always a teacher. And I made my way into the ed tech industry. And it really brought together, I think, two that, like I said, in my bio, the two parts of my life, sort of the sales and sales management part of my life and the educator. And so I've had the privilege since uh, 2012 to work in a space that allows me to um, interact and support teaching and learning across the country, um, while at this, you know, at the same time, really having an opportunity to build and develop as a, as a business professional. So, um, those two worlds have kind of come together nicely. Yeah, definitely. You know, the journey always changes. You know, what you start out wanting to do doesn't necessarily end up what you know you're kind of called based on life I know for me I graduated (laughs) from college I gave I came into college not knowing what I wanted to do I know I was in theater for a little bit I don't know why um (laughs) I and then um I took classes in journalism and mass communications and that was something that I like because I like to write life happens you pivot here you pivot there sometimes you take jobs because you have to work and so I ended up just being in human resources so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if I'm going to be here, then I'm going to make sure I'm the best so that I can do what I have to do. Went back to school, got my certifications and really kind of dug deep to make this be what it is. But right. yeah, it was a lot of different things I wanted to do. And I, now I'm, I'm incorporating my love for media and writing right. into, you know, some of these things, projects that I'm doing on the side, but it certainly wasn't like that when I graduated. I didn't know. Yeah, I think I it's so true. You know, when I was teaching, um, because I was a, uh, you know, teaching was a second profession for me. I remember all the time, you know, telling my students, you've got to create um, spaces in your life where you have options. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, I'm a teacher right now. I said, but right now, if I wanted to go to medical school, I could do it. I've created the space where that option's available to me. And I think that's something that's so critical for women um, because, because uh, we, we deal with so many different challenges. And so I would tell my students all the time, you know, the choices and decisions you make should always have 
you know, that kind of comes like my keep, keep your head on a swivel philosophy. You gotta be having your head kind of moving because you never know what opportunity is coming at you or towards you that, you know, you need to start to prepare for, you know, when my kids were growing up, we used to talk, talk about the, the, um, the confluence of luck and preparation, yep. right? When those two things come together and, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to get ready because you stay ready. Yep. And, and so that's been a mindset that I've always had. And I've tried to, you know, impart to my kids and, and, and the young people that I've had the, the privilege to kind of work around. And so, um, you know, I, I always want to, you know, I can't necessarily say today, you know, oh, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I like to, you know, do some things in a bit of an organic way, but just like you said, whatever I'm doing, I want to be my absolute best at it. Excellence is something I think that is just bred into us as women and women of color as black women. Um, we know what those oh, challenges yeah. and stigmas are that we, we know we've got to be 10 times better and, and all of those things just to be seen as equal. So, Mm-hmm. Um, you have to always kind of put that work in. Yeah, you definitely want to, you know, be able to pivot. You know, I used to be very straightforward, like I'm going to go to college. And then I thought I was going to be, I, I thought I was going to be married by the time I was 25 years old with a house and kids. <laughs> Let's just say that it didn't happen yet. And I just, I really just had this, you know, point A to point B, yeah. point C. And that's just the way. And then, you know, now my life is kind of like a scribble boys. It's all over the place, right. but it's been a, a lot more fulfilling because I said, okay, I'm going to open up and be, and, and, and take on and be able to pivot. One of my favorite favorite quotes that I share a lot is from Sir Richard Branson, who is this British, British guy, the CEO of Virgin, Virgin Mobile, mm-hmm. Virgin Air. And he says that when someone offers you a wonderful opportunity and you don't know how to do it, say yes and learn how to do it later. And that has been my philosophy the last few years where I've had people come to me and say, give us, do workshops for us, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. And I've never done any of that before, but I'm just saying, yes, yes, yes. Say yes to everything that you possibly can, because there's a reason why these opportunities are coming your way. So be open to that. Don't give yourself options. Cause when you give yourself options, you really are setting yourself up for success. So I really like that, that you're, you're teaching your children that your, your kids as well as and your I students. Think, and I think that's something that's definitely a challenge. Oftentimes I was actually in a, um, in, in a clubhouse room just a couple of days ago. And we were mm-hmm. talking about you know, how, how is women, especially we look at a job description or we look oh, at something yeah. and we need to make, we need to make sure that we've, we've done 99% of the oh, things yeah. on there before we will even consider applying. And we need to understand that the job description is not meant to be your resume. It's, can you do these things? It might not mean that, you know, you don't need some support in doing them, or you might need some training or some background in doing them, but it's, can you do them? you know, is that a space that it's possible for you? And so I've, you know, and it's a journey for me as well. I've been working to try to, um, you know, you struggle against this sense of that imposter syndrome that everybody yeah. talks about and, and do I fit in and am I really, do I really get this? And, and I, you know, and um, when I taught social studies, you know, my kids were, you know, well, um, miss, you know, so much. And I'm like, you know, guys, most of the stuff that's in my head is in my head because I choose to hold it in my head. I said, but what's the most important thing that's in my head is my ability to think critically about things. Yes. You know, you you may never again analyze the causes and effects of the French Revolution ever in your life, but you will be asked to analyze something. You will be asked to use your brain in ways that we're practicing right now with history, but you're going to use it in some other capacity in your life. 
and it's that ability for my, my ability to be able to see things, to synthesize them, to bring disparate things together to make something new mm-hmm. that I think, you know, are the strengths and obviously those important skills that we want to make sure that our, that our young people know. But I think as women, we have to be confident to know that I don't, ha- it's not necessary that I've done every little thing that I know that I can do it, that it's possible. And so I really appreciate you in that space of just saying, yes, just trying. Um, uh, Last night, uh, there was somebody on LinkedIn yesterday that posted a picture of what the Simpsons, when the Simpsons launched in 1987, it was the cartoon, like of what they looked like in 1987. And it was a hot mess. Yes. And and basically the, the, the message was, do that thing that you've been wanting to do, put it out there. Mm-hmm. because you can make it better. You don't oh, have yes. to be the best today. It can be better. So don't let, you know, perfect be the enemy of the good and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, all those different things. So it's, yeah. it, and I'm in that same space. So I love, you know, people like you have just decided to, you know, put themselves out there and make a contribution. I've done some things in some small ways. And so I'm trying to figure out for myself, will I make that type of commitment to? Yeah, I will put a plug in. This is her first podcast. So yay. Thank you for coming hey, on. No, thank your you first so one. For having me. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to the whole job description, just kind of going back to what you're saying, you know, I work in human resources and I look at resumes all the time and it's very true. Women will not apply for a job. If say like a woman has like 70% of what that job is requiring, that other 30 is what's going to hold her back. But I've seen applications come from men that work at Burger King and they're trying to apply for a, a VP position, like the level of ego and confidence. And I'm like, you, you're not qualified at all. So, you know, and that is really true. And I tell people do it scared, do it, yep. just put it out there. You know, if you're waiting for things to be perfect, you're, you're never going to get started. When never I never going to happen. Yeah. When I launched yeah. the podcast, I didn't have any experience with podcasting. I didn't think I would even get people to come on the show. I was like, I don't know. I don't have any money. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I realized that first of all, podcasting is a very low barrier. you like, you don't need mm-hmm. much of anything. You already have people who like what you put out there. Just put it out there. And as you move on and as which each season was each episode, you can always yeah. tweak it and make it better. And it's come a long way just in this, you know, in this season from where we started. So you really just got to put it out there. Don't yeah. be scared and take a chance on yourself. Definitely. Yeah. Put it out there and, and you know, you will, you will get better as you keep going. And, you know, that's really great advice. So in your, you know, your career, you know, we, we talk about the positives and all that good stuff, but what have been some challenges that you faced as you, as you moved up in your career? um, And how did you handle those challenges? You know, it's interesting. Um, Obviously as a, you know, as a woman and a woman of color, when, and the first side of my career in some of my spaces, I was working in spaces that were very female dominated um, especially in the retail space. And I didn't have a lot of challenges, but, you know, I had one particular instance, I worked um, in the uh, rental car industry. And I remember there was an opportunity, you know, I was running a, you know, a large fleet. There were a couple of us, other women in in the region that were running large fleets. And um, there was a, an area manager position coming open. And I remember at the time, um, our current area manager, pulled three of us ladies together that were under his leadership and said, Hey, I know you guys are hearing they're about to post this position. 
And, you know, we talked to the RVP and he said, you know, that nobody in the region is ready right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're not going to promote from within the region. They're going to be looking for somebody outside the region. And so we all were just kind of like, we didn't, we didn't question it. Right. We just kind of like, okay. And, um, and then um, it turns out they ended up creating two areas out of what would have been one. So they made two jobs, Mm -hmm. one gentleman in our tier, in our region, obviously applied for the job and got it. And they brought in a gentleman from the outside. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things that is, we were all really angry, but we couldn't really do anything about it because we didn't apply. Right. Right. And we had put ourselves in a position to that. We, we made the decision for them that that job wasn't for us. Yeah. And that was a, that was a, one of, one of my really early learning experiences. Obviously we've all had little small, you know, different aggressions and things of that nature. But that was just kind of my first time of kind of waking up to sort of the ways of corporate, corporate life and, and how things could play out. And I just, I remembered um, telling myself after that, and that, um, and that was, that happened to me uh, 20, almost 30 years ago, um, that I would never again, um, you know, second guess myself, or second guess my work and my talent, because somebody else had sort of collectively decided that, you know, nobody was ready. I, I get to say when I'm ready. I know when I'm ready. And so I, I wasn't going to put that control in anybody else's hands. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. definitely want to, you want to own your career. You want to own your journey, your Mm -hmm. story. And I, you know, I'm a big advocate for that. And it takes time, you know, you're not going to come out the gate and be like, ah, you know, I'm perfect. I know how to do it. You know, you're going to fall. You're going to get up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be like, oh man, I should have went for this promotion or oh man, I should have spoke mm-hmm. up for myself. I should have advocated for myself. But that's that's life. That's that's the beauty of getting older and experiencing things. And I tell people I've learned more from my mistakes than I've learned from my successes. You know, when you make mistakes, that's when you learn. You're like, oh, <laughs> I really screwed up. Yeah, I fail it. I like I yeah. failed a lot of times. I'm like, you know, my whole a lot of the articles and the content I put out for Black and the Worst Places <laughs> is based on failure of all the failures of, that I did. But I put it out there and I'm like, look, I gotta own this, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the in-between. And so I, I'm very big believer in can't nobody come behind me and tell my story. I've already put it all out there. So 100%. you know, I, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you talked about not really applying and, and then kind of holding yourself back. Was there anything else as you, when you learned that lesson, was there anything else or, or a significant um, failure that you had outside beyond that where you're like, okay, this is another really great lesson that I learned? I'm, you know, and so thinking about my teaching career, you know, teaching is sort of um, every every day you experience, you know, big and small successes and big and small failures. I think I, in that job, I really learned how to um, iterate, how to not, um, I guess, hang so much on every moment because every, every, you got another class period to do it again. So, you know, what first period was like was not what seventh period was like. So you had those opportunities to correct, to adjust, um, to, to say it differently, do it differently, make a bigger, bigger or better connection. And then I think that um, as I learned as an educator, I learned how to be vulnerable in front of my students and be like, y'all, I messed that up. You know, yeah. like, 
like, this is what I intended to happen. And that didn't, that's not quite how that went. So, um, and, and so I think like every, you know, being a teacher was such a special experience for me. And I think that that allowed me to learn how to, um, I think, iterate and innovate um, and do, try to do a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think I had, you know, um, I had different failures in different spaces and places as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the lessons I learned from that were that it, it's okay. You can, you can totally bomb at something and then kind of come back and correct it and fix it and, and make it better, um, you know, to be able to, to, to build and continue. So that, that's kind of my biggest lessons as a teacher um, that I had. Yeah, I love leaders who can admit that they're wrong. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's that people underestimate the power of saying my bad. I'm sorry, <laughs> I made a mistake. That's yeah. on me. I did that. You know, even you, it's just a powerful thing when a leader, like you work in corporate or just in general, you know, you know, when a leader can just say, "Look, I yeah. messed up, and this is a lesson learned." Or even leaders who are willing to say, "I don't know this." You know, like yeah. um, Steve Jobs is another one where he was like, when I hire people, you should hire people who are smarter than you and let them do their thing, you know, yeah. and, and admit when you don't know something. It's no, I don't know about you, but it's nothing worse when you are with somebody who don't know what they're doing and they you refuse. Can you can see it. It's like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, you you in the car with your man or with your dad and you know he don't know where he's going. We all over the place. And I'm like, well, you just pull over and ask for I know, questions. just like, stop, just ask. It's just, okay. Just say, yeah. look, just say, look, I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. You got us all in the woods, man. Just like, get us home. Just and pause. pause. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you know, and that's something as a leader, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I have the fortune right now to be in a leadership role. And I'm, I work all the time to try to, to lead with, with joy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I was, a, I remember when I was a teacher, um, I had a group of students and I happened to work in a school that was going through a lot of changes. I'd kind of come onto that campus um, at a time that it was about to come under state control. And, and so there was lots of things going on and they were reevaluating every teacher. Were they going to come back? Were they not? And I remember sitting in the room with my kids and they were um, talking about the rumors they heard of what teacher was going to have their job and what teacher wasn't going to have their job and all this sort of stuff. And I told them, I said, you know what, guys, they can change every teacher in this joint. But if you guys don't do something different next year, mm-hmm. it's not going to like things might change a little, but it's not going to change the way it needs to. So ultimately, mm-hmm. you you have to be responsible for you and, you know, and they are going to be responsible for them. And they said, well, not you, miss you struggle with us. And I'm like, well, don't nobody want to struggle at work every day. Like, you know, you want work to be a joyful place. And so for me, one of my huge things is I want to have fun at work. If if you are not laughing at some point during your day, you're doing it wrong. Um, There, nothing should be, you know, and I understand there are people that are having tough jobs, but you got to find some sense of joy. And so I try with my team to be open, be vulnerable, be the leader that I would want for me um, and, and really meet them where they are and find that space. And so there are times when I'm like, oops, yeah, I, I didn't do that right. Or, you know, that didn't come off the way I wanted to. Today, I said something to one of my team members and I immediately, when I said it, I heard how she took it. And that's not what I intended, but I understood my impact, right? So just trying to be very thoughtful about the impact of my words. And, you know, I kind of came back around and said, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Like, this is what I was intending to do. And 
Um, you know, we cleared it up, but it's, you know, not letting those types of things sit. You can tell when somebody, you know, when you've done something that puts something, somebody out of space, right. Yeah. You know, when that's happened to you, you know, when you're doing it. And so you just got to be, you know, work to try to own, own what you do. I mean, ultimately in life, the only person you can change is yourself. I can change what I do. And by mm-hmm. changing what I do, I can hope to give you something different mm-hmm. to respond to and to react to. And that's the, that's the most I can hope for. Yeah. I like that. Lead with joy. Yeah. Leading with joy. Also say as a leader to um, just leading, being transparent about what your expectations are, who you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a person coming into this space, you know, also being an advocate, I think is also really important, you know, because you work with people, you want someone to advocate for you. And I know as a, as black women who, you know, work in these spaces, finding advocates is really hard. You know, I, it's so hard because you have to go so hard just for people to see you and to take you seriously. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's like, getting those mentors and those sponsors and those people who will say, you know, I see Keishla, I see, I want to, you know, really work with her, really want to support her, put her on. So, you know, you want those people who are um, advocating and then, you know, you say, have fun. I, I, I haven't laughed yet at my job. So I think something wrong. So uh, <laughs> I laugh out of frustration. I haven't laughed out of joy just yet. So, I mean, it's, you're working on it. I think we got to get to that space. There's mm-hmm. got to be that space where, you know, and I'm, and I'm very, I, I say all the time, I'm so privileged. I get a chance to work with educators and support them and what our teachers are doing and all of our educators are doing right now under these current conditions yes. too. I know people say schools are closed. School is not closed. Nope. The buildings might be, but school is very much open. And so, um, you know, I definitely try to step in a space of gratitude and, and thankfulness for what I get to do, um, especially because I know that not everybody is having that same experience right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to be flippant about that. You know, if you're doing it wrong, if you're not laughing, but I just, I think there's just got to be a space where we, um, and everybody's job isn't the same. So I also want to kind of say that, but, um, you know, just, just trying to find that sense of what drives you, what's your purpose, what you're fulfilling. Um, and when you're doing that, that joy can kind of you know, come from that, knowing that you're, you know, fil- fulfilling your mission and your purpose and what, what you intend to do that you're putting out into the universe. So. Yeah. And I think you can find that both with, if you can't find that at your job, because sometimes jobs are just that, they're just jobs and that's okay. You most certainly should have that outside of work and don't, if, don't let your work be your world. If that's not something you're necessarily passionate about, there are people out there that are really passionate about their jobs. They love it and it's their life and that's mm-hmm. their identity. There's nothing wrong with that. But then there's also people who are like, look, I have a life outside of this. This is just my, this is just a paycheck. That's fine too. I don't, I don't think we should, you know. Yeah. And I think it's hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm very fortunate, but I also am a pragmatist um, yeah. in the sense that I don't, I don't, I don't know that, um, I love what I do. I don't know that I'm one of those people like, this is my mission, you know, or things mm-hmm. of that nature. Cause I do, there are times when it's just like, I want to step away and, and I can really find the joy in the space and the things that are in my home. And so sometimes I think that's one of those challenges for us as Americans. Um, that's, that's very much an American concept of yes. putting all your joy in your work and not having it in other places. So yeah. yeah. That hustle and grind mentality has, is something that's very American. It's something that I used to believe in as a young professional where I was like, yeah, hustle hard, play hard, you know, play hard, hustle hard or whatever, and, you know, love Mondays that it was just, uh, it was, it's like a cult almost. It brainwashes yeah. you. And then 
when I was experiencing the things that I was experiencing, it was really defeated. So I'm like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I hustle hard too. Like, why yeah. am I dealing with all this, this, this BS? And then right. you realize that, look, you have to be more well-rounded than that yeah. and find your peace. Yep. Outside of it, don't tether your identity yeah. to a job. Don't get me wrong. There are days when things really frustrate me, mm-hmm. right? There and and uh, you know, um, you know, being frustrated by you know watching people you know work around you. You know, I've just had an instance. You know, where you're like, um, so how was I not looped into that? If I'm leading on this, you know, yeah. you find the <laughs> <Right>. moment, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how did that go down that way? Like, how how are y'all doing all that? So. You know, there are those moments in that, and, and it's those times where you have to ask yourself, is this happening to me because I'm a woman? Is this happening to me because I'm black? Yeah. You know, and all those things. And sometimes you see it for what it is. And sometimes you're unsure. And that's the burden of it all. You know, I was mm-hmm. reading this article and it was talking about how, you know, um, white parents very rarely talk to their kids about race and black parents. We talk to our kids about race all the time. And so it's so in our minds could because we talk about it and we prepare ourselves for it because we're putting on this armor to yeah. protect ourselves from it when it happens. Cause there's yeah. nothing worse than getting smacked in the face with racism or sexism when you weren't expecting it. Mm-hmm. That's when it hurts the most because you go, man, I should have known better. How did I not see, you know, how did mm-hmm. I not see that? And that's when it's so frustrating because every day we put on this armor. It can we, be very we, stressful. It's very stressful. It's it's tiring to think about, you know, oh, you know, when you're in a room, you know that you're the only black person in the room. You know that you're the only woman in the room. What I don't know, and I remember asking this, we did a, um, a vulnerability, you know, vulnerability and race. I worked with a group of people that I met completely online and we had a great um, virtual webinar. You can find it online, vulnerability mm-hmm. and race. And it's tagged in my LinkedIn. But, we, you know, I asked the question, you know, asking a white person, do you, when, when I'm in the room and I'm the only black person, do you know I'm the only black person in the room? Are yeah. you aware of it the way that I'm aware of it? Yeah. Because I carry that burden every day, you know, and it's a mm-hmm. tough thing to deal with, to wonder if you got cut off because you're black or, or nobody listened to that idea. And then somebody else repeated it because, you know, we've all got examples of those types yeah. of stories. Oh yeah. And the challenge is we have to play in our minds, all of these, this tape, right. That we've mm-hmm. been you know, living with, and, and it could have, it could be a thing that they're completely oblivious of, or it could have been on purpose. And the fact that you don't know is mm-hmm. what eats at you, right? Yeah. A lot of it too is not, it's not always necessarily on purpose. A lot of times it's, it's, what is the word? Subliminal. They don't even know that they're doing yeah, it because they, they've yeah. been conditioned to see themselves as superior. They've been conditioned to say, right. to believe that their opinions and, you know, what they say is shaping and moving things. And so when you speak, mm-hmm. I mean, I've dealt with this before, where white people don't like taking orders from black people or, you know, black women, especially, especially mm-hmm. white men. They're like, well, why do I got to run anything past you? And so, right. you know, even though they're not necessarily saying you as a black woman, you know that subliminal right. as it is being motivated by that. And so it could be, you know, it leads to a lot of stress, um, you know, dealing with corporate traumas, whatever mm-hmm. those could be, you know, and we, we hear, we talk about how to fortify yourself and how not to really internalize a lot of that and really letting a lot of that roll off. Because if you internalize it, eventually it's just going to hold it you back, you up. ease it you up. You up. There's yeah. some, it's, there's times where you just, there's things that we have as black people, we have to let go. Like my mom said, you have, if you fight every battle, you're going to lose <laughs> the war and you're going to drop dead. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's the pure exhaustion. And, and we talked exhausting. about this a little bit. You know, I say that I've been on this journey and I'm trying to figure out, you know, where I manifest this either in writing or in something else. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been on this journey to unyoke myself. Yeah. From systemic racism and institutional racism. And because we are condi- the same way they've been conditioned to feel more than we've been conditioned to feel less than even when we know we're badass. Yeah. We still carry that, that cloak of inferiority. And I'm working every day to just be present, to expect things. And I, and there are times just what you described that I know I got pushed back on something that somebody else would not have gotten pushed back on. Yeah. I know that something, you know, you know, that you're, somebody went to, to check on me, you know, I've, I've had, mm-hmm. I had a really tough experience in one role when I got started and you can tell that this, that, you know, I was setting a boundary and an expectation and it mm-hmm. was completely ignored. And I was, um, uh, my, my job was put at risk with a lie and, and you knew that that's what it was, yeah. right. Um, because they just felt like they didn't have to listen to me, that what I had to say didn't matter. And you have to work so hard to build up so much um, work credit that some people step into and they don't have to, they already have the benefit of the doubt. They Mm, don't have mm. to have proven themselves. They are allowed to, to be in in a way that I think women and, and especially black women are not allowed to be. And so I'm working every day to just um, set expectations for what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, from my leaders, I ask hard questions. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that it took the very public murder of George Floyd yes. to create greater space mm-hmm. for these conversations, but I'm not going to let his death go to waste. Yeah. I'm not going to, I, so, so I said, you know, companies all the time, you, you know, your leaders, we have an open door policy. And it was years ago that I came to the, I was like, you know, okay, it's the company job to tell me to have an open door policy it's my job to walk through that door yeah and keep that door open and so I have charged myself to ask the things that they um that we would normally just kind of ask in a corner so I'm going to ask the questions about you know why did you make that decision or did you notice that when you did that that this is how this could be perceived or that this is was the impact of it you know, we've been having conversations about how, you know, new jobs pop up and people just get moved into roles. Yes. Right? Yes. Michelle no game. interviews is there is all about who, you know, right. who, who's advocating for you. Who's and women, women, women of color, black women mm-hmm. are on the downside of that. Yep. And so, so, you know, I've said, you know, guys, when you do that, you create an environment where you put diversity and inclusivity at risk Yeah. because everybody is not in the spaces and and people watch and see who gets moved and who has to interview and who doesn't, you know, so we need to be so thoughtful of that. And so I'm just using my voice and my, my space in this place to, to bring attention um, to that, which once again, believing the intention of the people that I work with, and I know I work with a lot of good people, I believe that they don't intend to do this, but they've been conditioned to be able to do what they want to do, how they want to do it, when they want to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's been no questions to it. And so it's, it's okay for us to ask questions. It's okay for us to 
to demand things that are going to make our workspace better, not just for us, but for everybody. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the end, it's going to make it better for everybody. Yeah, I will say, you know, Black women always tend to have a lot of receipts. And, I, and I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. A lot of the Black women that I am connected to who, who work in these spaces, they're not just working. They do so much outside of work. You got, I mean, they, these women are doing so much. And a lot of that, too, is... We have to do a lot just to be on the same level. I mean, I say this before, you know, I, I, you know, I have my, my, all these degrees and certifications and I work right next to somebody who doesn't have that, but they're making the same, if not more money than me. Mm -hmm. And, and it's frustrating because it's like, well, what much, how much more do you want me to do? And, And one thing I noticed too, is that when black women advocate, their advocacy benefits Everybody. Everybody. It benefits all women, regardless of race. It benefits in LGBT people. It benefits a lot of marginalized groups, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just black people in general, the civil rights movement. just, you know, every time yeah. black people speak up and speak out, you know, other people yeah. tend to fall back and wait to see what happens to us. Mm-hmm. But when the benefits start rolling in, it benefits everybody. everybody. And, yeah. and we have to keep doing that because you know, like I said, black women saved the country just back in November. You know, black women out here, Stacey Abrams huh? doing their thing. We, you know, what happened in Georgia with the two senators? I mean, that that not that's not taken away from other groups of people, but black women, black people were really behind what happened there. And it will benefit everybody, you know, because yeah. of the work that they did. That's the, that's the true trickle down, right? That's trickle down <laughs> right there. I mean, when black women are on it, that's that when black women are on your team and and when they believe in you and and you give them the access to the resources and opportunities that they need we go beyond the moon 100 because most 100%. of the time black women are doing the things they're doing with with less with less we're doing more with less less All, <laughs> so less and that's a challenge because we and so i'm working to say you know what i want what he has yep Right. I want what he has over there. And and then I'm going to do even more, you know, mm-hmm. and so we've been so conditioned to do more with less. That's been our plight, you know, but I think we we are at a space where I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be that annoying person at work, but I'm like, hey, so did, did you see how that went down? You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you're asking me to, you know, are you or you want to give me this new task? And I'm like, OK, so where are the resources? And we need to be you know, empowered to ask for those things. And, and, it's pay, a hard thing. and pay black women and pay, too. Yeah. And pay us, you know, um, I, I think um, we have to ask questions, understand what's going on. I mean, I've always, you know, all the things that we've, we've been taught to believe are sort of um, polite and professional are really just um, systems of power protecting themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So when, so when we talk about, um, oh, I don't talk about politics or, you know, religion, you know, that's just the predominant politics and religion protecting itself, right? Because it, it doesn't have to stand up to scrutiny or, or critic, criticism, right? Right, um, right. You know, I don't, you know, we don't talk about what we get paid. That's just the, the, the employers protecting themselves. You know, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, no, that's, so they have all the knowledge so it's no wonder they're winning at the game. So when we, mm-hmm. so when we can get better at sort of sharing our knowledge and feeling comfortable in that space, and I know organizations are working to be better with their transparency 
on pay and, and pay equity. Yeah, there's um, a company in Seattle, um, Gravity Payments, um, the CEO, Dan Prices, who I follow online, um, he has a policy of pay transparency. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he cut his pay by thousands, millions of dollars. And everyone there gets paid, I think everyone gets paid at least $70,000. 70, $70, yeah, yeah, everyone gets paid. Um, they haven't had any layoffs. Um, and they still are in business. And he was like, I'm a big advocate for pay equity. I'm a big advocate of making sure that everyone's getting paid what they're worth, even if it means cutting my pay. Because CEO pay in this country is crazy. And that's kind of what, that's part of what triggers a lot of the layoffs because the CEO, they're not going to budge. They're not going to cut their check. They're going to cut yours. And so, you know, he's leading that movement of saying, no, we need to have discussions about pay. And we need to be paying people equal pay and making sure that, People have the resources that they need. And when companies are telling you, we don't talk about pay, it really is a fear thing that they're placing in there because they don't want people to know, hey, I'm not being paid what I'm worth. And, you know, that's the problem. And then going back to what you're talking about, how we need to pay Black women and Black women are already doing more or less. You know, oftentimes I get people who flood my inbox and they're like, can you, you know, host a workshop? Can you do this and do that? And then they're not discussing pay. And I'm like, I don't work for free. Free. <laughs> you know, it's this idea that black the the knowledge and um, yeah. the resources of black women are just to be taken without compensation. Or or anybody doing sort of yeah. this type of work, especially. I think it's sometimes um when the when um COVID hit, you know, you had a lot of DEI professionals, some of them were the first laid off. Yeah. Because we see it as a nice to have and not a need to have. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, we lean on um, volunteerism for the efforts. And, you know, right now I've, I've been a, I've been an unpaid diversity and inclusion advocate. And, I, and I'm happy to do it. I think there's an element of grassroots that is, is necessary within an organization, but it should be met with some top down support. Yes. Of a, of a paid person. So I think it's a balance of the two, just like in anything, I think you need those two to meet. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to do the work that I do. And I'm looking forward to, you know, when our organization is able to, you know, get in that space where they're ready to bring on somebody to, to really be dedicated to the work in a full-time way. And so I, I think the more, um, my, my um, sort of entry into DNI work when I was at Pearson, I had a really great leader, you know, Kendra Thomas, um, she's not with Pearson anymore, but she's with um, another organization. But she really taught us the benefits of making sure that we were showing the the, the business connections to the diversity and inclusion work that we were doing. Yeah. And so that when you can help those that are looking at the bottom line, understand the value of that. And sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes it is about culture and, mm-hmm. and the workplace vibe that's existing um, and I know that, you know, our organization, the team really respects some of the work that we've been doing just to create a space mm-hmm. to be open and not be afraid to speak out or, or raise topics that might seem to be challenging. And I think the more that we can open up that dialogue, I mean, as a nation, we have spent, you know, the past, you know, decades and centuries just not dealing with our baggage and assuming that it was just somehow going to disappear <laughs> and it's not. And it didn't. It's it's not, it hasn't, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think also not really understanding the truth of the scale of the baggage, you know. So when people think that, oh, the Civil War ended, that was a long time ago. You know, my mother attended a segregated school. My, you know, 
Um, This is not something that's in some long ago past, you know, and you had, and, and all the different ways that white supremacy has worked to just continue to entrench itself and protect itself. So I think is, it's just inherent on us to continue to educate ourselves, educate others, um, and, and, and work to do better. And so that's, that's where I have, you know, a lot of pride in the work that I do, but I definitely agree that if we're going to be bringing professionals into an organization to help and support that work, professionals like yourself need to be paid. And so we, we, um, you know, definitely been building on that. Yeah. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, people, a lot of companies are too caught up in diversity as a metric, as in how many people of a different background or what have you that I can get in. And then you have companies where um, their numbers of black or brown employees, whatever, are churning because people come in and they go out and their companies say, well, why are we losing? I'm like, well, what about inclusion? Are you are right. you including people? You and brought then, them there. Are you brought them there? Are you treating them right? And then on top of that, what about equity? We, we forget mm-hmm. that part. Are you giving equal, are you giving access to opportunities that would allow a person to, to succeed? Grow to grow Mm -hmm. and to be successful? Are you promoting people? Are you putting people on? Those things are so important because if I get into a company and if I'm not comfortable and I don't feel like I'm able to succeed and not, you know, no one is investing and pouring into me, I'm out. And I've done that. I've left companies. People are going to leave. And so you have companies who are just, they don't understand what they're doing. And so it's really about changing the environment. And when you talk about the data, yeah, data numbers does help, you know, when it comes to justifying some of these programs. But at a lot of times too, it is really hard because a lot of it's more intangible. It's not really something right. that you can necessarily it's a pulse, calculate. Right? It's a you got to have your finger on it. Yeah. Right. So it's and, not- and it's not something that you're going to, um, you know, you hear a lot, you know, just, um, you know, if you see something, let us know. Well, that's reactionary. Yeah, I want you to don't don't do the thing that I have to see to let you know. (laughs) And 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 the only way you can not do it is if you put put things in place to make you ask questions before you act, Mm -hmm. make you Mm -hmm. question what you do. If we do this, how is that going to be perceived? If we if we roll this out, who are the stakeholders that are going to be impacted? Don't make me be the one to look and see, hey, you guys did a whole company presentation and everybody that did that presentation was white. Mm-hmm. I need you to see that before I see it. Like, don't don't air a rated R movie and then go, oh, we should we should have rated that rated R and mm-hmm. I had it rated PG. I want you to watch it first. Yeah. <laughs> and determine it. And that's I think that's what ends up happening. Everybody wants to put the responsibility to correct things. And I would like more organizations to say, what are you doing right on the front end? Yeah. You know, to make sure, because you're putting the trauma, right? You're putting, again, marginalized people back through the trauma again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and to your point, a lot of companies are making the mistake of thinking every black person that works there is a DNI expert. And it's like, no. And I've had people come to me and say, you are a DNI expert. And I've never positioned myself as that. I mean, I talk about the black experience in the workplace. Right. But I, I don't consider myself a DNI expert, and that burden should not be on the black employees to do. Not every black person who works at your company can or even wants to be a part right. of that conversation. And you know, being sensitive to that, I've had black people come to me and say, you know, they they want me to be on this board about being it's tokenism, really, what it is yeah. that DNI, and I have no idea, or I don't I don't want to do that. Not everybody can be the spokesperson. You know, me, I'm very visible. I you know, I'm on, I'm only 
LinkedIn. I'm putting it out there. I'm doing what I got to do. But I also know that not everybody can or want to want to do it. The face of the race. It's like they don't want to be that. (laughs) And you have to meet people where there are and respect people's boundaries and understand. Look, it's not Kessler's job to hold a DNI meeting because you guys screwed up on something (laughs) and they'll do that they'll come have you put on a presentation you're like that's not my job right and it's like you know I'm sure you probably follow I've been following uh Jodi Ann Burry on on LinkedIn and she you know she she kind of you know she's like you know why you should not bring your authentic self to work and you know and all these things about how um you know it puts the burden on people from marginalized groups to test whether or not it's safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like whether it's safe to come outside and, and I, and it's, um, and, and, and it's tough, right? Like, I, I mean, I get it and it's in its phraseology. It sounds like the right thing, bring your authentic self to work, but work is work. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think we, there's a, um, you know, sort of a space of, I want to be professional. I want to be seen for who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be heard for my, the, the value that I contribute but I think sometimes when we hear that phrase, I think, well, I think sometimes when white people hear the phrase, bring your authentic self to work, I feel like they're still rooted sort of in some stereotypes. Like I'm gonna show up with a boom box on my shoulder. I don't think they right? want, you don't want everybody bringing their authentic self to work, okay? <laughs> you like, I, that's such a new age word that word. I didn't hear until like maybe two or three years ago. It's like, what right. does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Are you even, first of all, are you creating spaces for people to just, be able to work in peace, let alone bringing in who I am. <laughs> and let, and then when you talk about authentic, how, because we can get, if you really want me to bring my authentic, I mean, I can get very authentic. How, what's, it's layers to this. How deep right. are you looking for? And, and what do you mean by that? And I think people are saying it, it's, it's kind of a buzzword that people are around. Right, and yeah. it doesn't really mean anything because companies really haven't put things in place just to make it comfortable for me to wear my natural hair at work or to wear my hair in braids or just to be able to come to work in peace. So I always, I always push back on that when people say to me, yeah. you know, you can always bring your authentic self to work. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and I don't want to, you know, like, I believe there's barriers. Our, we have our, four, you know, our professional register and our, four, and I know, you know, and it's not about code switching or anything like that. Yeah. There's, there's a way that we are at work and there's a way that we are at home. And it's, and it not, a, like it's that. not a reflection of you being, you know, a facade or anything. But I do think as, as people of color, mm-hmm. we're constantly having to dip our toe and test the waters. You know, like there was a conversation on, um, on LinkedIn about, you know, uh, the word friend, you know, and sometimes you got people at work. That, oh, you're my friend. I'm like, no, we can be friend. We can be friendly, we, but we are not friends. <laughs> but when you start talking to a person of color like that, a black person, like for me, it makes me. It actually puts my antennas up. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder why do you feel the need to not just be good work professionals? Like mm-hmm. I don't need. I don't need you to be my friend for us to work effectively. Oh, you just said and, a whole and- word. That is my <laughs> philosophy. That is my, fr- right? I'm like this. Coworkers are not friends. My company is not my family. I have a life outside this job. Yeah. I don't want to go to happy hour with you. I don't have to. My when, 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 And to black people, that's too familiar. Black people do not like it when you get that familiar. I would never go up to another black woman and be like, you're my friend because I'm not your friend. And so when white people say that, it, it does. My my spidey yeah. senses start tingling. I yeah, you get, this, you know, you get nervous. Good, 
I have a really good friend and she ha- she happens to be white. And so she, and we did develop a friendship at work, mm-hmm. but um, she used to always say it's called show business, not show friends. And yeah. so, um, and it's, and so it is a concerning thing. And, I, and it's not that we don't want to be social. And it's not that, I think there are times for, there's a time and a place for a workplace social, but it needs mm-hmm. to be in a certain way. But I, but I think there's something to be said for people to have to sort of, once a white person has made you feel like, or made that determination or designation that you are my friend, they change how they work with you. Yeah. Right. And so then you ask yourself, you were putting up all these barriers and somehow you've gotten to a place now where I'm acceptable to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and I think that that's all coded in that unconscious bias and things like that, that somehow you, you've cleared something, you've, you've gotten your security clearance. Yeah. To now be be treated as a a full and respected professional mm-hmm. when I should be treated like that from the minute I walk in the door. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a person who's down on, you know, general workplace socialization, but and and I I'm not a person who is going to say I've never made a friend at work. Yeah. But that's not my motivation. If it happens, it happens. We don't. If it force happens, it. it happens. And I was just, right. you know, just to, to to kind of wrap up here. I remember mm-hmm. this woman. She told me that when she was interviewing, um, she was interviewing with a white hiring manager, and she told me that the hiring manager kept going out of her way to tell her that she's friendly with everybody, including the janitor, because janitors are human beings too. And so, um, you know, the the woman I was talking to, she was like, that was a huge red flag. And so she was like, she turned down the job because it was just like, why would you keep going out of your way? And of course, a lot of the genders are black or Latino. Mm -hmm. So she kept saying it. And it just was like, what are you, what are you trying to say? Like, why are you going out of your way to say that? And so she turned it down. And one last thing I will say too, I think it's a generational thing, but there seems to be a thing with a lot of the younger generation that's coming through where they feel like if they can't be your friend, that they can't work with you. Like some people are really struggling. Like, I, like we're not friends, so I can't work with you. And where I was coming up, work is work. And you, as long as everybody's respectful and, and cool, yep. you should be able to get your job done. And so I always push back on that norm. It's like, look, I can, if there's people who I'm cool with at work, that's fine. And if it turns into something more than that, I'm fine with that too, but I don't exactly. go out of my way to make it. I don't go out of my way to make friends at yeah. work. If, it's, or if it organically happens, it comes, you know, it, but yeah, it, I think it's definitely a huge red flag when somebody is sort of <laughs> trying to. Janitors are people too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else would they be? Right. <laughs> you know, that when you're, and you're doing that in that very coded language, mm-hmm. you understand where that's coming from. That, oh yeah. That is, I was literally, when you said it, Jessica, I was like doing the face. Palm yeah. It was cringy. <laughs> It's cringy. It's cringy. So yeah. this has been a great conversation. We could have get bored old and old and old um, all days. But you know, in the interest of time here, we you know we want to make sure that <laughs> we wrap <laughs> it up. But you know, it's been a really good conversation. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Probably the best thing is to just find me on LinkedIn, Keisha Caesar Jones. Um, you search me and you'll find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. no, no websites, no, no Twitters, nothing like yeah. that. Just- I, I mean, I'm on Twitter for my personal life and yeah, I'm, don't, know, don't, don't shout at Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, and so right. LinkedIn is kind of my, you know, where my professional space is. I haven't t- taken the step to do anything, you know, sort of beyond my job, but you know, maybe there's something coming. So always watch out. All right. Well, you know, definitely connect with Miss Jones on 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 LinkedIn. That's where she wants y'all. Don't look for her on Twitter, please. <laughs>
you know, we we different pieces on Twitter. We're different right? people. That's not <laughs> different me. people. Like, no, we keep it on. We keep it on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, this has been a really great conversation. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out and speaking with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and just continue. I'll continue watching you, Jessica. I'm looking forward to watch you grow and excited for your next journey. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We sure did. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even suggestions, please go to our website at www.blackestintheworkplace.com and let us know. Otherwise, you can follow us on our social media pages. We are on Twitter at Ann Blackness. We are on Facebook, Instagram, as well as LinkedIn. Just go to our website to learn more. See you next episode.